Hello and welcome to the Heiress of Slytherin, a Harry Potter podcast. I'm Micaela, your host. Welcome to episode 5. In today's episode, I will be going over Harry Potter and the Sorcerer's Stone chapter 6, the journey from platform 9 and 3 quarters. This is another really big and fun, exciting chapter. We meet a lot of Harry's classmates for the first time, including two of my favorite characters from the series, Harry's best friends, Ron and Hermione. And we get some background info and some pretty notable mentions about other characters too. So it's a really big and fun chapter. And before we get right into the content of the chapter, I just wanted to talk about the Harry Potter code name game that I brought up last week. So I did play it like I said I would, and it was fun. It was a bit challenging. The instructions were kind of hard to comprehend at first, but once you got the hang of it, it was fine. It was cool because on one side of the card, it was a still from the movies. On the other side, it was the word that represented it. So Crab and Goyle word on the other side was a picture of Crab and Goyle. Same with the library. Same with spells. It was a picture of someone doing that spell, like a notable scene. So it was pretty cool and it was fun to do. I recommend it. I bought it at Box Lunch, but I'm sure you can get it on Amazon as well. I also wanted to give a quick shout out to Nilda and Julia. They're two of my listeners that have consistently answered my questions that I share at the end of every episode. They've given some pretty good answers and I just appreciate their support and how they've been consistently answering that and contributing to my podcast. So thanks to you both very much. I also have some pretty exciting news. This podcast is now available on Apple Podcasts. So you can listen on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Anchor, Radio Public, Breaker, and Pocket Cast. So if you would subscribe, that would be great. You could leave a review, spread the word, follow my social medias on Facebook. It is the Heiress of Slytherin Podcast. The Twitter handle is Slytherin Pod. And if you have any questions or would like to contact me, my email is the heiress of Slytherin Podcast at gmail.com. And now to summarize what happened last chapter. So Harry had his 11th birthday. He spent it with Hagrid and Diagon Alley. He was getting school supplies, including his wand. And Hagrid bought him his first pet, a snowy owl. He learned that his parents left him a lot of gold in the Gringotts Bank, which is the Wizarding Bank in Diagon Alley. Harry also met Draco Malfoy for the first time, and he didn't learn his name, Malfoy didn't learn his yet, but Harry already doesn't like him, doesn't want to be around him. He reminds him of his cousin Dudley, who is awful. And he also learns a little bit about his wand and how it is connected to Voldemort, the wizard who tried to kill him when he was a baby and who murdered his parents and countless others. And he learns a little bit more about himself, that his parents left him a lot of gold, and he learns a little bit more about the wizarding world and his parents, and he's just confused because he doesn't know how all this happens. He can't believe that it's him. He doesn't know how he stopped Voldemort when he was a baby. There's a lot that Harry doesn't know yet, but he is entering this huge, exciting era of his life. And we're going to get into this episode where he also learns a lot more and meets some interesting people. So Harry's birthday was July 31st and all students leave for Hogwarts on September 1st. So Harry has the whole month of August to spend at the Dursleys before he has to go to Hogwarts. So 
His last month with them is not fun. None of his months ever are fun with them because he has a miserable life with them, but this month especially, it's pretty rough. Dudley won't be in the same room as Harry. His aunt and uncle Petunia and Vernon just ignore him. They're half terrified of him and they're half furious with him. At some point this month, Harry decides to name his owl Hedwig. It is a name that he finds in one of his school textbooks, A History of Magic. Harry spends most of his time reading his interesting school books, counting down the days until he can go to Hogwarts. This is the very first time in Harry's life that he has a bedroom. He is no longer in his broom cupboard, so he might as well just stay up there most of his time and read his new school textbooks. The month of August passes by, and on the last day, Harry has to ask his uncle Vernon if he is able to take him to King's Cross, which is the train station in London, where students will usually board the Hogwarts Express to head to Hogwarts, their school. So the card that Hagrid gave to Harry says that his platform is platform nine and three quarters. Vernon says that that doesn't exist, but they're heading into London anyways because they need to have Dudley's tail removed. If you'll remember, two chapters ago, when Hagrid had to go get Harry, he gave Dudley a pig's tail, so they need to go to London to get it surgically removed. So September 1st finally arrives, which I should mention in real life, September 1st is next week, so that'll be a fun little day for the Harry Potter fandom. But September 1st, they go to King's Cross Station. Vernon just leaves Harry between 9 and 10 and just kind of expects him to figure it out. He doesn't want any part of it, obviously. So Harry asks the passing guard, who of course doesn't know he's a muggle, he has no idea, he just thinks he's messing with him. And after a few minutes, Harry kind of starts to panic. The train leaves at exactly 11 o'clock, so you gotta kind of be in the right place in a timely manner. Then suddenly, Harry hears someone say muggles. Of course, he recognizes that word as a word that comes from wizarding folk. The woman who said it is described as a plump woman with four boys and a girl all following her and they all have flaming red hair. And little does Harry know that this will become his favorite family, one of them his best friend and one of them his future wife. It's pretty crazy how this little moment is just where he sees them for the first time when he's 11. So these boys are, of course, her sons, the girl, her daughter, she's the youngest. The oldest son there of those four is Percy. Then we have Fred and George, who are twins, and then we have Ron, who is Harry's age. Jenny is the only girl, and she's the youngest. She has six older brothers, and she's a year younger than Ron. She's not going to Hogwarts yet. She has to wait a year. So the platform, nine and three quarters, to enter it, you basically have to run through a brick wall. Percy is the first one to go into the platform, and then Fred, and then George, and then Ron is the last to go after Harry. Harry actually approaches Mrs. Weasley and kind of asks how to get there, because he doesn't really know. He's alone. And once Harry runs through the barrier, he passes through it, he finds himself on platform nine and three quarters, and there is a sign overhead that says, Hogwarts Express, 11 o'clock. 11 o'clock is the time that the Hogwarts Express leaves exactly on the hour. One of the people that Harry sees is described as a round-faced boy. He says, Gran, I've lost my toad again. And she says, oh, Neville. So we learn his name is Neville and we learn that he has a toad. 
Neville is a big character and you don't really find out till later in the books, but he's very important. And he actually, he's the same age as Harry, Ron, Hermione. He's in their year at Hogwarts. He's entering his first year as well. He is ordered into Gryffindor house, but he is made fun of a lot. He's bullied a lot. He's seen as timid, scared, not really a Gryffindor and not very great at magic. Honestly, he's very good at herbology. That's like his strong class. And he ends up being in Dumbledore's army. He actually destroys one Horcrux, which is Dumbledore's pet snake, Nagini. That's a huge, huge accomplishment. And something else that is very, very important about Neville is that he was actually potentially almost in Harry's position. So this is because there was a prophecy. We will definitely get into this later on. And I will do character studies on Neville. But to kind of briefly explain it, there is a prophecy stated that a young boy would possess the power to defeat Lord Voldemort and that he would be born at the end of July in 1980 and his parents would have fought Voldemort and defied him three times. So Voldemort thought this referred to Harry Potter. If Voldemort would have chosen Neville he could have thought that it referred to Neville but he chose Harry instead that's how Harry became to be the chosen one he Voldemort didn't choose Neville but he could have Neville was also born at the end of July in 1980 his parents also defied and fought Voldemort three times and although Neville's parents aren't dead they are in a hospital for the rest of their lives so that's why his grand his grandma is with him there he lives with his grandma because his parents were magically tortured to the point of insanity like no return and that's it's really sad his parents aren't dead but this is still a pretty worse fate some people think that their fate is worse than death so neville truly is a very important character if Voldemort hadn't chose Harry, then we would be reading Neville Longbottom and the Sorcerer's Stone. So it's, he's a very big character and we don't, there's a lot more to him than meets the eye. And the next character that Harry sees is another Gryffindor. He is Fred and George's age. He is their best friend and he is called Lee Jordan. He's another little mischievous troublemaker, just like his friends, the twins. And at this point in the chapter, he's showing a crowd of people something in a box. And we'll find out what that is later on. So Harry gets onto the Hogwarts Express, the train to leave. And he finds an empty compartment at the end of the train. And the twins, Fred and George, who he had just seen, he met as the Weasleys. They find him and they help him with his trunk. They also notice his scar. And right away they ask, are you Harry Potter? And Harry, he has no problem answering this. And he's like, yeah, I am. And so the twins go back out. They say bye to their mom. All the boys are actually out there saying bye to Jenny and their mom. And Mrs. Weasley is trying to wipe something off Ron's nose. And we'll find out what that is in a few pages. And the oldest brother, who was Percy, he's already changed into his Hogwarts robes. He also has his prefect badge on. And the twins joke about how he's constantly mentioning that he's a prefect. So I want to explain what this is. At Hogwarts, every house, so for a boy and a girl, for all four houses, they there's a prefect assigned every summer. They get letters with letting, letting them know that they were awarded the prefect's title and they get a badge. 
So basically, this is a student who has been given extra authority and responsibilities by the headmaster. So it's Dumbledore right now. It's one male and one female, of course, from each house. They're chosen in their fifth year and it goes into their sixth year. So right now, Percy entering his fifth year, he's a prefect for the first time. They basically act as a halfway house between the ordinary pupils and the teachers. They take on a certain amount of responsibility to maintain order. Percy absolutely loves this. And the headmaster usually looks for someone who's respected by both the students and staff. They should have good and strong leadership qualities and you have to be bold enough to keep an eye out on their classmates, you know, tell them when when they're doing something wrong. And they also have to be able to keep up with their schoolwork in addition to their prefect duties. They get to use special bathrooms that are nicer than the other ones the normal students have to use. So it's pretty cool. In fact, in the Harry's fifth year, Ron and Hermione are actually the Gryffindor prefects and Draco Malfoy becomes the Slytherin prefect. So, so the prefects are not always going to be great at their duties. But Percy is someone who absolutely revels the fact that he is a prefect and he's very pompous character. And this is one of the first instances of that. And it's something that Fred and George love to point out and all his siblings actually. Now, the Weasleys are a very poor family. We'll see that in a few pages. But because Percy did become prefect, he was able to get new school robes because of this. In Ron's fifth year, when he becomes prefect, his parents buy him a new broomstick. So although they are poor, they do what they can for their kids. And especially when they have an accomplishment like that, they try to reward them. They try to buy them something new and nice. The train is about to take off, so the boys have to say bye to their mom and sister, and their mom tells the twins to behave and to look after Ron, you know, it's his first year, and Ron is almost as tall as the twins, so the Weasleys are a pretty tall family, especially the boys, so Ron is tall, that's a big description of him, and the twins actually tell their mom, like, that black-haired boy that you were showing how you get on the platform, that's Harry Potter. And Jenny automatically, she wants to see him. She's trying to look for where he is. And Molly just tells the twins, don't goggle at him. This is probably his first time around all of this kind of stuff. The twins also wonder, like, do you think he remembers what Voldemort looks like? Of course, they don't say Voldemort. They say, you know who. But Molly says, don't you dare ask them that. And it's just funny because the twins don't really have a filter. So they were genuinely going to ask Harry this question. So they finish up their goodbyes to their mom and sister and board the train. Ron eventually gets to Harry's compartment and asks if he can sit with him because everywhere else is full. Then the twins come in. They introduce themselves and Ron. Then they go to see Lee Jordan's tarantula. So the thing that he was showing everybody in the box on a platform was a tarantula. And Ron asks him, are you really Harry Potter? And Harry's, yeah, and he shows him his scar. But he tells him he can't remember anything from that infamous night except for a green light and so ron of course finds this famous boy wizard very interesting and harry finds ron just as interesting as ron finds him because he's telling him that his whole family are wizards and harry thinks oh you know what maybe that's one of the old wizarding families that that pale boy in diagon alley was talking about and this is something that i do want to mention because there is a list in the wizarding world that's called the sacred 28 And basically, it was an anonymous person published this concern about how 
the pure blood lines have to be preserved within the magical population. So that person basically compiled a compendium of the truly pure blood families, and they're called the Sacred 28 because there's 28 of them. Wizards that are maybe pure blood or they're half blood, but they have views that aren't prejudiced, just like some pure bloods do. They recognize that wizards would have died out if they hadn't married muggle folk. So some of them just sneer at this list, some disregard it. It's not completely accurate either, but you know, a lot of them deem themselves very pure. There are only two names on here that are, have no mention in the Harry Potter book series where Harry doesn't meet one of their ancestors, but he does meet an ancestor from every other family. I'm not going to mention every name on the list because I'm just going to be doing another episode on this at some point anyways, but I do want to mention some of them. The first name that I do want to mention is Black. Of course, this is none other than Sirius Black's family. So his family are extreme purebloods. And they even will shun someone off of their family tree, burn them off if they have interactions with muggle warrants or muggles or anything like that. In fact, Sirius is one of the ones who was burned off their family tree, their tapestry. He was the first member of the Black family to not be in Slytherin. He was in Gryffindor and that was something that his family was not okay with. And so also something to mention is that a lot of these pureblood families are almost inbred they're very they're very much all connected so a lot of them are related to everybody so for instance bellatrix lestrange was one of sirius's cousins she's a very notable character and her one of her sisters is narcissa malfoy her sister was narcissa black before she married of course draco malfoy's dad lucius malfoy who was another pureblood so yeah, Malfoy's related to Sirius. So Harry's godfather, Sirius Black, he is Malfoy's mom's cousin. So it's pretty crazy how there's a lot of relations here. I also want to mention the last names Abbott and Bulstrode. So two of their ancestors from each of these families are actually two girls that are in Harry's year. One ends up in Hufflepuff, one ends up in Slytherin. So another connection there, Harry meets their descendants. Briefly, the last name Flint is on there. He is actually the Slytherin Quidditch captain this year, so Harry's going to meet him in a few chapters. The last name Greengrass is on here. Draco Malfoy goes on to marry someone called Astoria Greengrass. Lestrange, of course, Bellatrix Lestrange, this name is on here. Longbottom is also a name on here. Longbottom is a another old pureblood family. Macmillan, there is Ernie Macmillan, who is also one of, in Harry's ear. He's a Hufflepuff. The name Malfoy, of course, very pureblood. Ollivander is another name on here. We already met Garrick Ollivander, maker of fine wands. The name Pruitt is on this list as well. And I want to mention this because Pruitt is Molly Weasley's maiden name. So her name before she married another pureblood, Weasley, was Pruitt. Pruitt is another one of those old wizarding families. Weasley, of course, is on here. So Ron Weasley, his whole entire family, the Weasleys, they are purebloods. And also Slughorn, he is very notable because we'll meet him in a few years. He's a big character. So that's just some of the names on there. There's more, of course, like I said, I'll do an episode. But a common question is why didn't the Potters make the Sacred 28? Because the Potters are a pureblood family. James Potter, Harry's dad, his whole dad's side of the family, all wizards, very pureblood. So according to the author, 
Harry's family didn't make the list because the anonymous compiler who compiled this list said that Potter was a common muggle surname, of course, last name. So if you were basically someone, a pureblood, who was suspected of tainting blood or being sprung from what was considered tainted blood, you didn't make the list. So another reason, another common term is blood traitor. Sirius Black is considered a blood traitor. So is anybody in pureblood families that will marry muggles, marry muggle-borns, or consort with muggle-borns, be their friends. Weasleys are considered blood traitors because they're purebloods who interact with muggle-borns. So it's very much a messed up ideology in the series, but it's, it's pretty interesting because it's a lot, it comes up so much and it's what drives some of the characters just crazy when blood is tainted and you're not pure blood. Very um, prejudiced and like racist points of view in this series from pure bloods. I also do want to mention something quickly. A common misconception is that Harry Potter is a pure blood. He is a half blood. Yes, his dad was a pure blood wizard, but his mom was a muggle born wizard. So, of course, to all pure bloods, James Potter would be someone who was considered a blood traitor because he married a muggle born. She was not pure blood. But just because Harry had two wizarding parents, one of them was a muggle born. One set of his grandparents are muggles, one set are purebloods, so that doesn't equal a pureblood. You would kind of think that maybe like two wizarding parents, whether one was a pureblood, one was a half-blood, muggle-born, whatever the case would be, any children would be purebloods, but no, Harry Potter is a half-blood. So, of course, back to the chapter where Ron is telling Harry about his family. So, I already talked a little bit about it, that there's seven kids total, so... Ron gets a little bit gloomy once he starts telling Harry about his family. He says that he's the sixth in his family to go to Hogwarts and that he has a lot to live up to because his oldest brother is called Bill. He was head boy, which is basically like the next level after a prefect in your seventh year of Hogwarts. And there's only two for the entire year instead of two per house. And Charlie was the next oldest brother. He was captain of the Quidditch team. And Percy, now he's a prefect. And he mentions Fred and George, though. They mess around a lot, get in trouble, but they still have pretty good marks and everyone thinks they're really funny. So this is the first hint, sign, I guess, that Ron basically says, like, yeah, I'm overshadowed by my older brothers. And this does become, it's kind of a recurring theme that happens throughout the series and also a point that contributes to Ron's jealousy. Ron is a jealous person. So he also tells Harry, like, oh, hey, I heard that you went to go live with muggles. Harry tells him, yeah, they are horrible. And so he just continues to talk about his family a little bit. Um, and he also has a lot of hand-me-downs. This includes clothes, like his Hogwarts school robes. He says that he has his older brother Bill's old robes. He has his older brother Charlie's old wand. He doesn't even get a new wand. He has to use his older brother's old wand. And he also has Percy's old rat. This rat is called Scabbers, and yeah, it's pretty much like, oh, whatever, but this is such an important character as well, because as we learn later on, this rat is the evil Peter Pettigrew. He's an animagus who can turn into a rat. He's the one who betrayed Harry's parents to Voldemort. He's the reason they're dead, so this is a very evil person. He has a lot of nerve just staying there around Harry. Like, it's, it's pretty bad. But he's, he is a Gryffindor, so that's an attribute he's showing as a rat, even. So anyways, that's another one of the hand-me-downs Ron gets. He gets Scabbers, an old rat. So another thing that Percy got for being named Prefect was not only a new set of robes, he also got a new owl. 
His dad gave it to him because he was named prefect. And so Ron also starts to say, but they couldn't afford, but I mean, I got scabbers instead and his ears go pink. So he is clearly embarrassed. He kind of thinks he said too much, but Harry doesn't think there's anything wrong with not being able to afford an owl because this is the first time in his life that he actually has money and his whole life he's been wearing Dudley's old clothes. He's never even really got birthday presents and he tells Ron about that and it kind of cheers Ron up. So Ron is ashamed of being poor and he doesn't like it. They just continue talking during the train ride and at some point Harry says Voldemort's name out loud and Ron gasps and Harry just says he just never knew that you couldn't say it or that you shouldn't say it. He just learned this name like a month ago anyways. Harry also voices his concern out loud for the first time to Ron that he's worried that he'll just be the worst in the class. He he doesn't really know anything about magic. He just learned he was a wizard a month ago. And so Ron tells him that he doesn't really know much either. He has a family full of wizards, so he knows a lot, but he hasn't actually done magic himself and used his wand or anything like that. Next, we have a trolley witch come in. She comes in with a trolley full of candy. Ron tells her that he's all set. Of course, his parents can't afford to give him money to buy treats off of the trolley. So Harry is starving and he is just ready to buy all this wizarding candy. He thinks it's going to be candy bars, but he sees that it's actually wizarding candy. And he sees it for the first time and he buys some of everything. Costs him 11 sickles, the silver ones, and 7 nuts, the bronze ones. And he also shares the candy with Ron. And it says that it's a nice feeling sitting there with Ron. This is his first friend and it becomes his best friend. So this is the first time that Harry has ever had something to share with someone and that someone is a friend. So I really do like that line. It was a nice feeling sitting there with Ron, eating their way through all Harry's pasties, cakes, and candies. Because it's, it's nice. It is a first time for Harry. He has a friend and is able to share something. And he's going to Hogwarts. This is a good time for Harry. One of the candies in the Wizarding World are called chocolate frogs. They're not actually frogs, but they come with a famous witch or wizard card. Ron says that he has about 500, but he wants Agrippa and Ptolemy. I don't know how to say that. It's P-T-O-L... E-M-Y, save Ptolemy, I guess the P silence. But Harry unwraps his first chocolate frog, and the person that he gets is someone that has half-moon glasses, long crooked nose, flowing silver hair, beard, and mustache, and the name under the picture says Albus Dumbledore. And so Harry, okay, this is Dumbledore is what he says. And his card says that he's currently headmaster of Hogwarts, Considered by many the greatest wizard of modern times, Dumbledore is particularly famous for his defeat of the dark wizard Grindelwald in 1945, for the discovery of 12 uses of dragon's blood, and his work on alchemy with his partner Nicholas Flamel. Professor Dumbledore enjoys chamber music and 10-pin bowling. So uh, there are a few famous wizards here mentioned that I want to talk about a little bit about. So of course we have Dumbledore first of all. Headmaster of Hogwarts School of Witchcraft and Wizardry, he has been for a few decades, and he was one of the first characters we met in the first chapter. So it says on his card that he's particularly famous for the defeat of the Dark Wizard Grindelwald in 1945. We don't really hear much mention of Grindelwald again until Deathly Hollows, and of course we have the Fantastic Beasts movies where he is the villain. He was Voldemort before Voldemort was Voldemort. Basically, he was the darkest wizard of all time up until 
the point where he was defeated and Dumbledore was the one to do so. So it's exciting. We're going to see that in the Fantastic Beasts movies at some point. So he had a reign of terror before Voldemort's, of course. Voldemort had about two reigns of terrors before Harry defeated him twice. So Grindelwald, Gellard Grindelwald, is someone who went to another wizarding school in Europe. He went to Durmstrang, and he was actually expelled because he was doing some pretty dark stuff over there. Eventually, when Dumbledore graduates from Hogwarts, he goes back home, has to take care of his family, and he meets Grindelwald, and they have a whirlwind friendship, and a little bit more than a friendship as well, as we learn later on. And they had very similar ideologies, but it was short-lived. And eventually, Dumbledore becomes the one to defeat him. And we know that, but we don't exactly know how and why. We're getting some new hints to in the Fantastic Beasts movies, so it'll be interesting to see. But Grindelwald is related to Bathilda Backshot. She was the one who wrote A History of Magic, that textbook that Harry got the name Hedwig from for his owl. And Harry and Hermione actually do meet Bathilda Backshot in about six years. So Grindelwald also stole the Elder Wand, which was considered the most powerful wand in the world. And this actually becomes Dumbledore's wand. When Dumbledore defeats him in their big, huge duel, Dumbledore wins that wand. And that is a wand that... Harry then wins later on all these years later, which will be in about six years at this point for Harry. We do learn that Dumbledore and Grindelwald have some sort of blood pact in the second Fantastic Beast movie. That's where we learn this. I'll mention that in a little bit. And we also learn that Dumbledore and Grindelwald basically ignite, they plan to ignite a wizarding re- revolution, really. But there is a three-way duel between Dumbledore, Albus Dumbledore, his brother Aberforth, and Grindelwald and one of them kills the youngest Dumbledore, Ariana. They don't know who, but that was definitely a big source of sadness for Dumbledore. Albus Dumbledore, Aberforth Dumbledore, both of them. And another thing I do want to mention about Grindelwald is that Voldemort is the one who kills him. Voldemort is literally just the darkest dark wizard of all time. Grindelwald was up there, probably second, but Voldemort was definitely first. It's funny because every time I think about how bad Voldemort is in terms of comparing him to Grindelwald, I always remember a few years ago, my sister actually said, yeah, Grindelwald is bad, but he has nothing on Voldemort. And it's kind of true. Voldemort is the one who actually kills Grindelwald. So it's pretty interesting. Another thing that I had read was mentioned on Dumbledore's card. One of the things he's famous for is that he discovered the 12 uses of dragon's blood. Now, we don't know what all of these uses are are jk rowling the author has only revealed a few the 12th one is that dragon's blood is used as an oven cleaner like a spot remover in ovens and another one is curing veruca which is like warts so there's nine or there's 10 other uses um some of them are likely used in potions also there might be something to do with the blood pact that we saw between dumbledore and grindelwald we don't know if between species There's 10 species of dragons, but maybe each species has like a a particular use with the blood. We don't really know that. Um, We also do see that Rubius Hagrid uses a dragon snake that's bloody to help his injuries after being attacked by giants. We also see Horace Slughorn. He uses dragon blood to try to fool Dumbledore and Harry, pretending to have been attacked by Death Eaters. Of course, you can't really fool Dumbledore, especially not with dragon's blood when he invented so many uses for it. 
The last thing on Dumbledore's card that I'm going to mention is alchemy. So it says that he's famous for his work in alchemy with Nicholas Flamel. So of course, alchemy is basically the medieval forerunner of chemistry. And of course, it's associated with magic, sorcery, with witchcraft, and shaman, all this stuff. Nicholas Flamel is the creator of the Sorcerer's Stone. He is someone that is going to be mentioned in a few chapters who Harry, Ron, and Hermione are just dying to find out who he is. So I don't want to talk about him too much right now because I'm going to in a few episodes, but just know that he did invent the Sorcerer's Stone. And although we don't actually see him or meet him in the books, we do see him and meet him in the second Fantastic Beasts movie. Now I just want to talk about the famous wizards and witches that are mentioned as being on the chocolate fraud cards. One of them, the one that Ron wants, is Cornelius Agrippa. He is a well-known author of books on magic, and he was someone who was eventually imprisoned by muggles. The next wizard who Ron was missing from his collection was Ptolemy, and this is someone who may or may not be Claudius Ptolemy, who was a real-life Egyptian mathematician, astronomer, and geographer. The next famous witch or wizard is called Paracelsus. We don't really know much about them, but we do know that at Hogwarts that there is a bust of this witch or wizard. So just their head like in a statue. The next wizard is the one and only Merlin. He is known as the most famous wizard of all time. And he was a member of King Arthur's court. And of course, the Order of Merlin is named after him. And he has, which of course I mentioned already in the previous episodes, how the Order of Merlin first class is green because his house was Slytherin. And there are also common phrases in the wizarding world, like Merlin's beard. That's an exclamation of surprise. So Merlin is very famous and he was a Slytherin. So it doesn't mean he was evil, but it does mean that he probably had some very ambitious traits and events in his life because he did become the greatest wizard of all time. And that doesn't happen without ambition. Another chocolate frog card is Morgana. She was a famous dark witch. And she was actually King Arthur's half-sister and an enemy of Merlin. So I think it would be so cool to have the author write some sort of story about Morgana and Merlin in the time of King Arthur's court. Of course, there's a show Merlin from BBC and there's just old tales from general, you know, folklore. But it would be cool to see how it would be in the world of Harry Potter. Another famous wizard is Hengist of Woodcroft, and basically he's a medieval Scottish wizard credited with founding Hogsmeade, and of course Hogsmeade is the village of shops and bars and restaurants and pubs, I guess, that the Hogwarts students will be able to go and visit on field trips sometimes. It's basically the only all-wizarding village in Britain. Next up, we have Albert Grunion, and he is famous for inventing the Dung Bomb. The next famous witch was Cleodna, and she was an Irish druidess who was also an animagus, and she used her magical skills to heal the sick. So, of course, she lived during medieval times. She was said to be the eldest daughter of the last druid of Ireland, and she had three magical birds that could help her cure the sick with their healing songs. She was said to be very beautiful, and her animagus form was a seabird, and she was also skilled at transfiguration and was able to transfigure herself into a wave as well. And her favorite hobby was flying, and she discovered the properties of moon dew, which of course is a flower used as a potion ingredient, 
And I thought that was some really cool information on her. She is somebody else that I would like to read a story about. And the last famous witch mentioned is Circe. And so, of course, if you're familiar with Greek mythology, she is an ancient Greek witch who enjoys turning sailors into pigs. So the author wrote that there's 115 of these wizards on Chocolate Frog cards. Of course, Harry Potter becomes one of them. The four founders of Hogwarts are on there as well. There's a few more that we will also learn about throughout the series. They're briefly mentioned. Also, one that's on here for the famous wizards list is Birdie Bot, and she is actually the one who invented Birdie Bot's Every Flavor Beans, which Ron and Harry start to eat after the chocolate frogs. So Ron says, like, you need to be careful with those. When they say every flavor, they mean every flavor. Ron tells Harry that there's normal ones like peppermint, chocolate, but you get weird ones like spinach, liver, tripe, sprouts. Harry gets toast, coconut, baked beans, strawberry, curry, grass, coffee, sardine, and Ron doesn't even try one. It's actually pepper flavored, but Harry is brave enough to try a little bit of it. So they do sell Harry Potter candies in real life, such as chocolate frogs and Birdie Bot's Happy Flavor Beans. You can get them, I'm sure, like at candy shops, Amazon, and at the Wizarding World of Harry Potter Universal. I actually have had Birdie Bot's Every Flavor Beans before when I was younger one time. I didn't try all the flavors because you know how jelly beans have the color and the flavor on the back of the box or bag or whatever it is. And on Birdie Bot's Every Flavor Beans, I looked at the colors before I tried it. The only one that was like a weird flavor that I did that I did try was dirt flavored. I don't even remember, but it would, probably wasn't good. <laughs> a little bit later on, the round-faced boy who Harry saw earlier, who was Neville, asks if they've seen a toad. So one of Neville's defining characteristics is he's clumsy, but he's also very forgetful. Of course, a few pages back, he was at, telling his grand, like, I don't remember, I haven't seen my toad, and she's like, oh, Neville. So... He's telling them he can't find him. He's a forgetful boy. And this is the first hint of that. And I thought that it was funny because once he left, Ron says, don't know why he's so bothered. If I had brought a toad, I'd lose it as quick as I could. Mind you, I brought scabbers so I can't talk. So it's true he can't talk because he has scabbers. But it is funny because Hagrid was the first one who actually said like, oh, no, it's embarrassing to bring a toad. And here Ron is saying that as well. So just poor Neville. He's going to be embarrassed by so many things, and his toad is one of them. So another thing we learn here is that Ron's wand, of course, it was hanging down, so it's very battered looking. The unicorn core hair is actually sticking out of it. So poor Ron has an already old, not great wand, and he's about to do a spell, and then in walks the one and only Hermione Granger. Hermione, of course, one of the main characters, she becomes Harry and Ron's best friend and even ends up marrying Ron later on. So she comes back in with Neville and asks if they've seen a toad, even though Ron's like, yeah, we already told him we haven't. And then she's like, oh, you're about to do magic. Let's see then. Like, I just love the scene in the movies. They do it so well. Hermione's description is bossy sort of voice, lots of bushy brown hair and large teeth. The spell that Ron does is sunshine daisies, butter mellow, turn to stupid fat rat yellow, and nothing happens. So Hermione, of course, well, are you sure that's a real spell? Well, it's not very good, is it? And then she explains that she's tried a few simple spells just to practice, and it's all worked for her, but nobody in her family's magic at all. And it was such a surprise when she got her letter, but she's so pleased, and 
she's just so excited and she's learned all of our course books by heart and she just knows Hogwarts is the best school of witchcraft there is and so you know she's just kind of displaying her personality right now and we learned that she is in fact a muggle-born she has no magic in her family she's the only one so she introduces herself says her name is Hermione Granger and then Ron and Harry introduce themselves and right away of course she's also fascinated by Harry she says that she's actually read about him in some of her extra books that she got for background reading he's mentioned in modern magical history the rise and fall of the dark arts and great wizarding events of the 20th century she also asks harry and ron if either of them know what house they'll be in and she says that she hopes she's in gryffindor that it sounds by far the best and as she heard dumbledore himself was in gryffindor which he was but she also says that she thinks ravenclaw wouldn't be too bad now, if Hermione was not sorted into Gryffindor, she would have been sorted into Ravenclaw. Ravenclaw prizes learning, wisdom, wit, and intellect. And Hermione is the smartest witch of her age. She's even smarter than some of the students that are older than her at Hogwarts. She's a very, very bright and talented witch. And they Ravenclaws tend to be really academically motivated and they're pretty talented too. And they also feel that they're very original with their ideas and methods. But Hermione is sorted into Gryffindor and she actually argues later on with Luna Lovegood, one of their uh, friends in the series later on, who is a Ravenclaw, because she says that Luna doesn't use logic, and Hermione has a really hard time with that. She's a very rational person, and she's skeptical about views that don't have supporting evidence, and she's very firm in her beliefs, and she wants, she wants the evidence. She's disbelieving of things that don't have evidence. And so Ravenclaws kind of tend to think more on like the bigger picture, and Hermione does do that, but she is very much logic-driven as well. So if she wasn't sorted into Gryffindor, for sure Ravenclaw would be her second house. Once Hermione is done talking, she leaves the compartment again, and she also already has her Hogwarts robes on. That's something important, and she actually tells Ron and Harry that they should change because they'll be arriving soon. And I think it's absolutely hilarious that Ron says, whatever house I'm in, I hope she's not in it. It's so funny. And then, of course, later on, when Hermione gets sorted into Gryffindor, he just groans. And Harry is curious. He asks Ron what house his brothers are in. And Ron tells him that his whole family is Gryffindor. And he wants to be in it. But he also thinks Ravenclaw wouldn't be too bad. But he hopes he would not be in Slytherin. So this is another example of how Slytherin, like, oh, that's the bad evil house. That's not necessarily true. Yes, most evil people are from that house. But this is another negative connotation that is associated with the house and another view a negative view that harry receives from it and remember harry also met malfoy last chapter and malfoy tells him yeah slytherin is the best my whole family slytherin and harry didn't like malfoy so this is another example like okay slytherin's not sounding too good to harry right now and of course hagrid did tell harry last chapter that voldemort was in slytherin and you know voldemort tried to kill harry killed his parents so of course voldemort's not a good guy he was in slytherin house it can't mean good news to harry as harry and ron continue talking ron also tells harry that his older brothers charlie and bill they're off doing stuff so charlie's in romania studying dragons which comes up later on in the book and bill is in africa doing something for gringotts he works for gringotts of course the wizarding bank Ron also reveals to Harry that Gringotts was recently robbed or someone attempted to rob something from it. They didn't take anything, but whenever something sinister like this happens, some people do tend to get scared in case Voldemort or some of his followers are behind it. 
And in this case, that's actually true, which we will talk about later. And there also in the book, it also says Harry was starting to get a prickle of fear every time you know who was mentioned. So he's just hearing constantly about how dark and evil this wizard was and how he's he was after Harry. And Harry's like, well, I can't do anything about it. He really doesn't know anything. He's just learning so much information at once. So next, Ron starts to explain Quidditch to Harry. And all of a sudden, Malfoy, Crab, and Goyle walk in. So of course, his first name is Draco Malfoy. Then we have Vincent Crab and Gregory Goyle. Though, but of course, most Gryffindors just call them by their last names because, you know, that's how it is between Malfoy, Crab, and Goyle and Harry, Ron, Hermione. It's Potter, Weasley, Granger, you know, all last names. And it's not uncommon for professors to address students by their last names as well, but it's definitely a point of contempt when Malfoy and his friends are doing it. So Malfoy, Crab, and Goyle walk into Harry and Ron's compartment, and Malfoy is looking at him with a lot more interest than when he met him in Diagon Alley. And he asks him, are you really Harry Potter? And then Harry's like, yes. And so Harry just looks at Crab and Goyle, thinks that they just look mean, like kind of like just this, these bodyguards. They're just mean looking and just bad vibes from them. So this scene where Harry and Ron meet Draco and Crab and Goyle in the movie is when they're already at Hogwarts. But in the book, of course, it happens in the train. So some of this dialogue is from is used in the movie scene when they're already at Hogwarts. But he says, my name is Malfoy, Draco Malfoy. And Ron gives a little slight cough, which is kind of him hiding like his laughter. And so Malfoy looks at him and says, think my name's funny, do you? No need to ask who you are. My father told me all the Weasleys have red hair, freckles, and more children than they can afford. And then he says to Harry, you'll soon find out some wizarding families are much better than others, Potter. You don't want to go making friends with the wrong sort. I can help you there. And of course, Harry replies, I think I can tell who the wrong sort are for myself. Thanks. This is another scene in the movie that is really well, that is acted really, it's really great. Tom Felton's line delivery when he says, red hair and hand me down robes, you must be a Weasley. Like that's a pretty recognizable line from this scene and this part of the book. So Malfoy extending this sort of offer of friendship is pretty interesting. He kind of wants power, wants that popularity. And all I have to say is Malfoy, your Slytherin is showing. And this is another quality where Slytherins kind of try to make those connections to get on top. That like very much self-preserving and ambitious and trying to find advantageous relationships and friendships and connections so of course Malfoy's doing it here Voldemort does it Horace Slughorn does it it's very it's common in Slytherins for sure so Malfoy being the rude little boy he is says I'd be careful if I were you Potter unless you're a bit politer you'll go the same way as your parents they didn't know what was good for them either you hang around with riffraff like the Weasleys and that Hagrid and it'll rub off on you so although the Weasleys are also purebloods Malfoy knows they're poor and the Malfoys are extremely rich so Malfoy just sees everybody else as beneath him and just any blood traders things like that so and he's also bullying he's rude he's saying he's an 11 year old boy saying things like you'll go the same way as your parents like that's no that's just messed up he's a terrible little kid and then Malfoy, Crab, and Goyle and Harry and Ron are prepared to kind of fight each other. And then all of a sudden, when Goyle reaches for one of the chocolate frogs, Scabbers actually bites his finger. 
So that was good of Scabbers to do, you know, but it's still Peter Pettigrew. He's still a terrible person and rat, but at least he got Malfoy, Crabbe, and Goyle out of the compartment. But not before Goyle made a scene yelling, trying to move around, toss Scabbers off his finger. So they leave the compartment. Hermione actually comes in because she's like, what is what has been going on in here? Because all the noise and stuff. But Harry and Ron ignore her question. And he Harry tells them about his first meeting with Malfoy and Diagon Alley. And Ron says that he's heard of his family, the Malfoys. And they were some of the first to come back to our side, like, I guess, the good side. After you-know-who disappeared and they said they were bewitched. But he says some people don't believe them. Ron's dad is one of them. And he says that Malfoy's dad doesn't need an excuse to go over to the dark side. And then he just acknowledges Hermione for the first time, like, can we help you with something? And she's telling them to hurry up and put their robes on because she just asked the conductor and they're almost arriving at Hogwarts. And then she says, like, you've been fighting. You can't be doing that. You're going to get in trouble before we even get to school. And then Ron's just like, just leave. We're about to change. And Hermione says that she only came in because people were behaving childishly, running up and down the corridors, and she's too mature to, you know, be part of that. And then she also tells Ron, and you've got dirt on your nose, by the way, did you know? And so that is what Mrs. Weasley was trying to rub off his nose before he boarded the train. And so I like this sentence where it says that Harry peered out of the window. It was getting dark. He could see mountains and forests under a deep purple sky. The train is slowing down and they are arriving at Hogwarts for the very first time. So they're getting nervous as they step onto the platform. They're really just lots of nerves. And then they hear Hagrid's booming voice and he's calling for the first years. So, of course, Harry sees Hagrid again. He's happy to see him. And the first years arrive to Hogwarts via boats. So there's no more than four to a boat, as Hagrid says. And it was Harry, Ron and Hermione and Neville in one boat. And so the fleet of boats moves across the smooth black lake. It says, perched atop a high mountain on the other side, its windows sparkling in the starry sky was a vast castle with many turrets and towers. So I'm sure seeing this for the first time is absolutely mesmerizing. And I just can't imagine how much excitement and nervousness these first years are feeling, especially Harry and Neville and really anybody who feels unsure of themselves. So, of course, they're in the boats heading towards the big castle overhead. And as they get out of the boats, when they get there, Hagrid's checking the boats, making sure they don't leave anything behind. In Harry, Ron, Hermione, and Neville's boat was actually Neville's toad. And so Hagrid's like, hey, is this your toad? And we learned that his toad's name is Trevor. So they walk up a flight of stone steps and they crowd in front of the huge oak front door. And Hagrid knocks on the door three times. And that is the end of the chapter. And now to get into the questions that I asked. So the first one was, which chocolate frog card would you really like to get? Nolda said, most definitely Dumbledore, Snape, and McGonagall and Merlin. I agree, Dumbledore would be cool. And so would Merlin. I think Merlin and Morgana would be really cool to get. And Julia said, Dumbledore, McGonagall, Sirius, Black, and Snape. I also think that Sirius would have been a cool card as well. He was just so wrongly done in his life, so... He has a really great story for sure. I also agree with both of them that it would be cool to get Snape's card because, yeah, Snape really does become famous after his secret would have died with Harry, but Harry is one who revealed it to Voldemort and to everybody else who was in the Great Hall during the final book in the final battle. And 
revealed how Snape really was a key point in this story. The next question I asked was, what do you think one of the uses of dragon's blood would be? Or what is something practical you wish it would be used for? Nilda said any like acne treatment or just getting rid of body fat. And Julia said that she would like it to be a multi-use cure. And I agree. I think just kind of using it to get rid of anything you don't want, like on your body, on clothes, cleaning, just useful for anything would be really great. The next question I asked was, which flavor of Birdie Bot's Every Flavor Beans would you be most scared to try? Nilda said that she would not chance any flavor. And Julia said that anything involving like bodily fluids or animals or weird smells. And I agree. I don't, I'm not a huge fan of jelly beans myself. I like the Starburst jelly beans. I'll get them during Easter time. But other than that, I won't really just buy jelly beans. They're not my favorite candy at all, especially because there's so many flavors that just aren't great unless it's the Starburst kind. And the next point of discussion that I brought up was how Malfoy knows about his parents and their pure blood mania. And it's very likely that at this point in his life, he knows that his parents were slash are death eaters. And even if they didn't explicitly tell him that, he must have seen their dark marks. And either way, he was raised with his dad's dark wizard ways and his parents' ideas about how pure bloods are so superior to half-bloods, muggle-borns, and just muggles in general and every everyone. And how, I'm wondering, like, how do you think Lucius would have felt if Draco had actually succeeded in befriending Harry? And how in Harry and Draco's fourth year, Lucius claims to have believed Voldemort was dead and gone for good. How might Lucius' perspective change if he knew Voldemort was still out there? And you, he would probably find it useful for him being a servant of Voldemort, knowing his son was friends with Harry. And do you think it's possible that Lucius told Draco to befriend Harry? Like, there's a lot of ideas on this. And Julia said that she would have thought that they would have tried to use Draco as a way to turn Harry to the dark side. But of course, Harry had already seen the pureblood attitude and didn't like it. He just did not like it. And I agree because another reason some people were kind of curious and wary of Harry was because they thought maybe he's a dark wizard. If he was a baby and defeated Voldemort, who was never defeated by anybody else, like he has to be dark, like very dark wizard, which isn't the case. But it was a theory that some people did have. And Nilda's thoughts were that Lucius probably did tell his son to try to befriend Harry, and in some ways he probably thought that he could find out the secret of how Harry defeated Voldemort, and how purebloods and Slytherins at that also like the power and try to surround themselves with people that might present some advantage to them. And I also asked if Harry did choose to become friends with Draco Malfoy, do you think that Draco would try to trick Harry in some way? Or he would use Harry to gain like power or popularity because he probably saw it as being advantageous for himself. So just like I said, Malfoy, your Slytherin is showing. like It's a huge Slytherin trait. It's demonstrating those qualities. Julia agrees that she does think Harry would have tricked him. And Nilda says that it would have been a great advantage to Malfoy to be friends with Harry. And it would have been greatly advantageous when bullying and taking advantage of other people. And he would have been able to brag that he was Harry Potter's friend. And it would... That's a crazy alternate universe if you think about it, if Malfoy and Draco were friends. Something else to think about is that it is possible, so Lucius told Draco to try to befriend Harry, knowing that Voldemort would maybe want Harry for some purpose at some future date, and having Harry under his influence would have brought Lucius to a much higher 
level of favor with Voldemort when that time came if he thought that was an option so it's definitely a cool almost like the Marvel show what if it's like what if this happened what if something happened differently so I think it's really cool something to think about and I might do an episode on it in the future about how things could have turned out how it could have been really bad for Harry or just because you know Voldemort would have tried to kill him right away it's not like he was going to wait around and see if they could become you know really cool dark wizards together no Voldemort was the dark wizard he didn't want anybody else on his level and that's why he wanted to kill Harry because Harry was prophesied as the only one who could defeat him Voldemort wanted him gone and if Harry had become friends with Draco that would have been a, maybe a much easier way to get to him although we still have to consider Dumbledore and Snape of course we know Snape pretended to be on Voldemort's side he used to be but he switched over to be you know a spy for Dumbledore so it's interesting like what Dumbledore and Snape kind of allowed this to happen Snape probably would have started to know that Voldemort was coming back and Lucius had bad intentions but also Snape didn't like Harry but he was protecting him because he loved his mother so it's it's really interesting how things could have played out and how Dumbledore and Snape could have also played a part in this as well and if you have any more ideas about this as well I would love to hear them I think it's super interesting okay and the next thing I said was how exciting for Harry and all of the first years like they're seeing Hogwarts for the first time they're entering those doors it's it's really cool I would I have wanted this for my whole life I've literally wanted to board the Hogwarts Express it's be a first year like take the boat there like I wanted to do all of this so badly I wish it was real I wish I could do it and the question I asked was, what would you feel like nerves, excitement, maybe both or any other emotions or thoughts? And Julia said that she would feel super nervous and excited, just especially with um, the newfound magic and recognition of power, especially for Harry. Like he's popular. He's famous in the wizarding world. And this is all very new to him. And that she's excited for him to finally have friends and not be bullied by his cousin and the Dursleys. And he has this newfound freedom and he does like he's away from the Dursleys. He has his first friend, Ron. He's famous. He's popular. He's going to start learning magic. Like this is the coolest thing that could have ever happened to him. And Nilda says that she thinks that the first years just ha are feeling a whole slew of emotions. And Harry has a lot of a lot going through his mind, a lot of excitement and nervousness, but also some fear of the unknown and fear of failure. And that's a good point because he was starting to be kind of like well I'm, what if I'm incompetent what if I'm just the worst in the class he's not sure how everything is going to exactly play out and there's kind of some pressure on him she mentioned because he's finding himself to be a very famous wizard and it's true but that he is relieved to not be around his aunt's uncle and cousin and the next thought I had was that this is a chapter where we are introduced to a lot of characters for the first time a lot of Harry's classmates learning some background info about things in the wizarding world, Ron's family, things like that. And we're seeing a lot of the characters' traits. And we are seeing these traits that are throughout the entire series. Like they don't, they grow up and they maybe evolve and change and everything. But a lot of the traits are the same. So like for instance, Malfoy, Crabbe, and Goyle being bullies like the whole time at school, Hermione being bossy, things like that. And Julia says that she feels it sets a whole new tone for the world that Harry is in. He's getting to know these people. This is what it's going to be like. And she also says that Ron is her favorite and how he just grows into the wizard he is meant to be. And Ron does have a lot of growth, so I agree with that. 
And so as I mentioned, Hermione is, you know, shown as bossy. And Nilza thinks that Hermione is being judged too quickly and she's maybe a little misunderstood. She's highly intelligent and she puts in a lot of effort to become knowledgeable of everything around her. And at times she is the voice of reason. And we'll see later on how, if not for Hermione, who knows what would happen to Ron and Harry in so many situations. Even just thinking about that right now, I can think of so many instances throughout the series where Hermione does save them, especially when they're on the run in the last book in Deathly Hollow. She is very quick thinking and very smart about so much stuff. I also do want to mention here that Nilda is a little bit biased because she loves Hermione and I do too, but she definitely will defend her and a lot of people do. So something I want to mention here quickly because it's pretty interesting, it will come up in Order of the Phoenix, but... Hermione actually permanently scars somebody and I don't want to get into the details too much of it but Nilda even said to me one time she did what she had to do like Hermione did what she had to do and kind of defends her decision to magic like magically scar someone permanently so it's definitely a discussion that's going to be interesting later on and something that's controversial in the fandom as well. And the last little bit of thought I had for them was how we are beginning to see how there are negative opinions and connotations of some of the houses. And it also depends what house you're in. So like if you're in Slytherin, you kind of have like, depending on who you are, if you're a Slytherin, you have these negative views of other houses. All the houses kind of look down on Hufflepuff and it's just mostly a matter of opinion. And so Julia said that, especially with Hufflepuff, The characters are acting like, oh, it's the one house you don't want to be in. And it's interesting because she never would have minded it, even though she is a Ravenclaw. And so Nilda said that it's interesting how there's parallels between the wizarding world and the real muggle world. Very opinionated, very prejudiced, and very demeaning. And an example of that is with the houses. Like, people are very demeaning towards Hufflepuffs. Ron mentioned it, Hagrid, Malfoy... Even in the fourth book, Goblet of Fire, in Harry's fourth year, when Cedric Diggory becomes the Hogwarts champion, his name is pulled out of the Goblet of Fire, basically. He's a Hufflepuff. And then all of a sudden, Harry's name is called out. And Hufflepuffs are mad. They were really thinking that Cedric Diggory, a Hufflepuff, could win their house glory that they didn't have. And it was almost like Harry, a Gryffindor, who comes from a house that already has a bunch of glory, was trying to steal that from them. So it's... You know, they don't get a lot of good recognition. And to conclude this podcast, I just wanted to give another shout out to Nilda and Julia for continuing to support me through their great answers to my questions for each episode. And also, you can find this podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Anchor, Radio Public, Breaker, and Pocket Casts. And through the Anchor link, you can also donate a small contribution each month so that I can continue to make content for this podcast and keep it running and do fun episodes. And if you'd like to contact me, the email is the heiress of Slytherin podcast at gmail.com. Twitter is at Slytherin pod and the Facebook page is the heiress of Slytherin podcast. And it would mean so much if you would subscribe, listen to the episode, spread the word, give me a review on whichever platform you listen to the podcast on and any support would be great. And for next week's episode, make sure you read chapter seven. This is going to be another big and fun and exciting chapter. We get to see the sorting ceremony, see what houses the first years are sorted into, learn some more things about Hogwarts and the professors and magic. It's, it's going to be really fun. 
That's the end of this week's episode. Thank you for listening to the Heiress of Slytherin. I'm Mikaela. Bye.